Welcome to Neoweek Audio, a collection of podcasts and Twitter spaces produced and curated by Neoweek, the number one news and community platform for the Neo Protocol and the Aurora ecosystem. At neoweek.com slash podcasts, you can find every interesting audio piece from the community in one place. We curate content on topics such as DeFi, NFTs, gaming, DAOs, community hangouts, and more. Basically, we got you covered near fam. And without further ado, let's dig in. Hello, hello. Now we're not going to have any music. <laughs> uh, thank you for coming, Evgeny. We're just waiting for more people to show up for other speakers as well. I think AVB is coming a little later. And uh, Blaze, I've sent you an event to speak as well. So let's just give a couple minutes and uh, we'll get started. Okay, yes, I think we can get started slowly. So first of all, let me just pin this space up right here. So everyone in the listeners, of course, we're trying to get more people to the spaces. It's a little tough to get uh, Congress members to attend the spaces, unfortunately. I guess uh, <laughs> it's it's already good if they all attend their calls for the Congress. So we can only hope so much that they will also bless us with their presence for the weekly things. Uh, hopefully this will change in the future. Maybe we're doing them too often for our respected Congress member to take their time and show up. We'll see. Uh, but either way, we're here. We have a decent amount of community here with us listening. So one way or other, we're going to go through the updates of what has happened in the NDC, in the Congress uh, for the past week since last time we spoke. Uh, which there has been a lot. Uh, right now, I guess it's uh, sort of the time in NDC, the beginning where every week there is something to discuss. Like even just looking yesterday, we had a letter from COA. A uh, couple uh, days earlier, we had final 
um, approved list of grassroots DAOs from the home, which is basically the most important thing. That's what NDC is all about, about grassroots DAOs working and receiving funding. So definitely a lot of updates to discuss today. Uh, as well as from Transparency Commission, we'll have AVB come uh, later, hopefully. Uh, so yeah, with that being said, uh, let's jump into it. Uh, I think let's start with, so we have Evgeny here today representing House of Merit. So Evgeny, maybe you could give us a brief overview of the most important updates and what has happened during this past week from House of Merit side. Hello, guys. I'm Eugenia I'm from House of Man. Today I will replace uh, Kit Kisses. So uh, let me let me give you last update from House of Merit. Uh, first of all, House of Merit approved uh, Alex on uh, NDC operation role. He will manage all operations in NDC, like next elections, for example. So. Uh, also, House of Merit thinking about higher BD, but uh, at the moment we have a lot of discussions about this in uh, House of Merit chat. We want to think with Koa to discuss this because uh, scope of work of BD for NDC really huge, and we want to discuss it with Koa to get more information how BD should do it. Uh, okay, next update is. Uh, House of Merit with Blaze had call with uh, uh, with near foundation legal team. Uh, we got uh, information about that uh, near foundation with trustees created legal entity for all NDC. Uh, so right now we have entity for NDC, and also we had call with uh, trustees about. Uh, NDC V1, so this call was successful, and uh, at the moment we waiting for uh, approval from enforcers to go to V1. Also, uh, in th this week we approved uh, some grassroots DAO. Uh, let me tell about more information about this grassroots DAO. Uh, it's gaming DAO. It's uh, Build DAO, New Research Collective, Marketing DAO, Dagen DAO, Onboard DAO, Aurora Community DAO, Global DAO, and She's Near DAO. So this uh, little information from last update is from House of Merit. Um, if you have any questions, uh, please tell me and I will be happy to answer you. Yes, definitely. So uh, it's been a long time that NDC is trying to transition with V1. Uh, we already had the budget drafted, passed the home, passed the core, passed the voting body. So uh, where are we now and what is still blocking NDC to officially step into V1? Uh, for my opinion, we are really close to V1 because we waiting for last approval from enforcers who need to get approved from near foundation. And after this, uh, he will give us information that we in V1 and uh, we will be in V1. So I think we're really close. I hope it's uh, this approved we receive really soon. So, and after this, I think Grassroots DAO can start apply for funding. 
Got it. And uh, can you tell us about any specific, maybe interesting grassroots DAOs that stood out to you specifically, or uh, just in general, what are the most promising DAOs that we're looking on to see coming out of the NDC ecosystem? Anything there worth highlighting? Actually, all grassroots DAO are really promising because uh, all approved DAO received uh, eight uh, approved from House of Merits uh, members. It's a lot. It for some DAOs it uh, was really hard to receive these approvals. Uh, so every DAO is really promising. I hope uh, they will really develop our ecosystem and uh, bring uh, a lot of community to, to us. Also, guys, just a mini announcement to our community. So uh, we are doing, uh, as well, we're doing this weekly spaces that we have right now, which is Congress update and uh, is meant more as to like an internal, but open to the community sync from speakers from all houses. Uh, but on Wednesdays, we also have spaces with uh, different DAOs that were onboarded. So this week we had She is Near. I think next week we have Aurora Community DAO. So if you want to learn more about uh, different DAOs that got accepted into the NDC and that basically will represent NDC through themselves, uh, feel free to jump into our Wednesday spaces. Again, I think it's Aurora DAO this week. So we'll see with that. And uh, before we move to Koa, uh, Evgeny, I just wanted to ask you on last call with there has been discussions about sort of activity of Congress members that uh, some are active, some are not, some show up to the call, some don't. Uh, what is the situation right now in the House of Merit? Is it something that has been improved? Actually, uh, after these discussions, uh, yesterday we have call in House of Merit and uh, we received a lot of people join from House of Merit. It was, it was huge and surprised it all. And we had really good call with uh, really cool discussions. So at the moment, uh, situation uh, a little better. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, we have some problems with uh, approves uh, proposals, with discussed proposals, with writing documents, uh, because we need people who will do it. And you know, we have problem like no one from uh, Congress do not receive any salary, so it's a little blocker to some members to work really hard. But I think uh, it will change soon and everything will be good. But yes, uh, situation a little better from, for example, from, from last month. Uh, we At the moment, we have more active people in House of Merit. Okay, well, that's... Definitely great to hear. Hopefully the activity stays up. Um, thank you, Evgeny. I think maybe we'll come back to it later, but let's jump to some updates from Koa. So we have Blaze with us. Uh, Blaze, if you could tell us what has been going on in Koa over the last week. Blaze, are you here with us? Thank you on mute if you're trying to speak. Okay, maybe Blaze is having some issues. Uh, AVB, would you want to step up? And uh, we can come back to Koa later. 
maybe we can hear what's been going on in Transparency Commission this week. Any updates from there? GM, GM. Oh, okay. oh he's back. Sorry. GM, AVB, yes, okay, so we'll just go in traditional order, I guess. Blaze, we can hear you very cool. well now, so... Okay, yeah. Hey, everybody, thanks for joining today. I know that these spaces tend to be pretty late on Friday nights for many people uh, in Congress, if they're in Europe or India or across the world, so maybe we can think about looking at a different time for those uh, as well, a little bit earlier in the day, but um, yeah, so in terms of Council of Advisors, we had our weekly meeting uh, this week, we had almost all members there and uh, just discuss the active proposal that had been put up by the voting body. Uh, that proposal actually did not pass uh, just as of a few minutes ago. Um, so appreciate the community coming out and putting that forward, that launching the first proposal from the governance body. It definitely created a lot of discourse and gave us a lot of things to think about. So thank you to the community for that. and. Um, so that was a major topic this week. And so we created the open letter based on that. Also talked about the candidate, uh, you know, that was put forward by HOM and approved by them just to kind of get an overview of that candidate and, and everyone to get up to speed in COA. And so there is an active veto uh, up on that. And it sounds like a lot of uh, the COA members are, are supporting that candidacy. So I don't think you'll see a veto rejected there. And then finally, just kind of looking at um, in the meeting minutes, looking at other things that we need to continue to address and just kind of focusing um, on, you know, making sure that we have minimal bureaucracy and, and keep really what our goals are in front of us. And that's to deploy funding to grow and sustain the ecosystem. So when we're getting caught up in a lot of things like, you know, trying to create too many rules too fast, it looks like that is, you know, something that's going to create a lot of fighting and, you know, that may also, um, you know, deter from what we're trying to actually accomplish. So just kind of put some of those out in the meeting minutes uh, from COA. But other than that, I think things are going very well with NDC. It has taken a while to get us to the point where we are, we're on that last step right now of view ongoing live, and that is the enforcer to accept the voting mechanism. Uh, so like, uh, you know, Evgeny said there, there was a shared meeting with the enforcer this week, and uh, we're just waiting on that final decision, which hopefully will come early next week. Got it. And uh, can I ask, you know, so Evgeny mentioned about uh legal entity that's been set up for NDC. Can you tell us uh, more about that? Because I know that uh, there has been a lot of uncertainty around this topic and we even had some members of uh, COA, I think it was, uh, say that uh, like I, I'm not going to vote because uh, there is no legal information, uh, there is uh, like no contracts, like there is nothing, right? It's basically just exists in the vacuum. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to, I don't know what consequences are going to be of my vote, uh, what's the legal situation with it. So now that we had the legal entity set up, as Evgeny just told us, did any of this change? Uh, what does it mean for uh, Congress members and just any other information that you would like to give us on that topic? Yeah, so as Evgeny said, we had a great meeting um, this week with... Um, the legal team um, and so uh, part of that meeting was to address this legal entity so let's talk about that first so there's been a new legal entity set up that is attached to the trust instrument 
That way it could be funded directly from the trust to that legal entity that has a very specific purpose. Uh, and that purpose is to hold contracts for the community. So one of the things HOM is actively working on is picking a KYC provider. We've been using Near Foundation for that, but the NDC needs its own you know, KYC provider and its own contract. So that legal entity was set up to do things like uh, hold the contracts for the community for things like KYC. Also, when we build software and we need audits, like, you know, we build rust contracts, we had to do several contract audits uh, for the voting, you know, mechanism to go live and for uh, things like that. So um, it will hold contracts like contract audits. We just needed an entity to be able to sign on the line for NDC to hold a contract. So that's one of the purposes of that legal entity. The second purpose is to really address paying for all of our services, whether that's Zoom or, you know, a Twitter uh, membership, Prime or, you know, whatever the case may be, Telegram, you know, so paying for all those services, the hosting, the servers, all of that. So that contract entity will also uh, pay for those services each month with the debit card. That way we don't have to have community members paying individually and then get reimbursed in near, which is what's happened to this date. Kaz has been doing that for the community along with myself, putting a lot of those services on our, you know, our cards and then getting reimbursed through the treasury there. So that's what that's for. In terms of the concerns that some of the Congress members have, that was discussed as well. And so what I think the next step is on that is there's going to be more of a letter created, a guidance letter, kind of like an executive summary of the current legal setup of the NDC uh, to kind of give those Congress members more assurance. The good news is, is that, you know, the Treasury, uh, the community Treasury, they're the ones that deploy the funding. So that's where the liability is with our trustees. So I think there will just be more guidance put together in a, in a formal executive kind of overview of that that hopefully will help um, ease community concerns on voting as a Congress member. Hope that was helpful. Definitely. Thank you so much for that information. Uh, I wanted to ask you as well. So COA has launched a letter uh, that's been published yesterday. I know you already touched on some topics within that letter, but uh, if you want to give any comments on the letter overall. Yeah, I think it's just a letter that says, you know, um, we really haven't fully launched V1 yet. We haven't tested this governance model fully. So it's just some encouragement to the community to, hey, let's not try to move too fast and try to remove safeguards uh, in the process just to make things faster. We really don't want to focus on speed as much as we do efficiency. We want to make sure that we all have a desire to get things done in the fastest manner possible without removing safeguards and forcing, um, you know, situations where we're telling trustees, you have three days to decide on all funding for the NDC for the month, right? That's just not really that practical. So there's just a lot of encouragement in there and just kind of, you know, letting the community know that it's okay for us to gather data first. So if we want to make an effective change, we should test the current process, gather data, and then collectively decide, um, you know, to do that. The other challenge with that proposal is 
there's different voting quorums depending on what you're trying to change in the governance framework and that particular proposal had multiple different vo voting quorums in there so what was pointed out is we need to have better you know documentation when you go to create a proposal maybe some warnings and prompts that you understand kind of you know what the nature of the type of proposal that you're presenting and you know we need to have more discussions about you know is the bond high enough because what was used was the fast track bond which is kind of like a last option um, to put forward a proposal there are other options for instance you can put forward a draft for one year and then get a congress member to support you and if that happens and your proposal moves forward another option is to create the draft and have the community come out and support that proposal uh, by voting on it. And so we have a couple different options there. And so I think, you know, it was a good test of the process. It's clear that we need to make things more clear and probably add a little bit more rigor there just to make sure proposals aren't getting pushed through and, and passed. But overall, kind of the letter was any changes to the governance framework should really happen next congressional session. We shouldn't be in a hurry to change this framework now when we haven't even tested it. It's not even actually fully live at the moment until the enforcer, you know, agrees. So that was kind of what the letter was was pertaining. Thank you. And uh, also, I uh, want to ask as well now that we have had the first set of grassroots DAOs selected and uh, approved. I'm assuming. I can say approved at this point. Uh, does COA has any feedback on that? Any views, uh, statements on how did the process go and regarding the DAOs that were selected? Yeah, what was exciting to see is that the House of Merit took their own initiative, was really working to follow the process. So the good news is lots of folks in HOM are starting to understand this governance framework better. and. So they put each one of those to a vote. And since those were put to a vote, you know, that was the proper process to follow. Um, it was, uh, there was feedback given from the community that if you're going to reject or abstain, that you might want to put a comment as to why you did that. Um, so maybe they don't always feel inclined to do it, but in general, those uh, grassroots DAOs that weren't approved and I'll call them funding nodes that weren't approved, they do need some guidance back from HOM as to why not and if, what things they can do to kind of get that proposal resubmitted or if really the House of Merit sees them applying for funding from another particular funding note because that's always an option as well. But it looks like the process was followed. Obviously, COA has the opportunity to veto those. But one thing that is we want to make clear for the community is that COA does not have to veto a proposal. They do not have to necessarily entertain vetoing every proposal. It's just really at the discretion from an advisory and a review standpoint. Um, we are spending a lot of time in COA reviewing uh, the marketing and creatives proposals that we're putting put forward and then discussing like what what is it that we really need to see um, on an executive summary level from these, you know, particular funding nodes from these projects. And then what are the outcomes? Like, okay, you asked for 5,000, you said you were going to do X, then what did actually happen in the end? So creating some of those high level metric reports will be some advice that's going to come out. But yeah, no, I mean, in terms of NDC governance, things are looking pretty well, I think. 
this is great to hear. And uh, just to wrap it up, uh, I was curious, you know, as to now that uh, this has happened, the home has uh, selected the DAOs, the core has created uh, the vision, the metric, the priorities. Uh, what is Council of Advisor will mostly be doing going forward now that its sort of main responsibilities have already been fulfilled? Overall, it's to, to ensure that the funding that's being deployed is really being deployed to grow and to sustain the ecosystem. So I think the next phase that COA will enter into is on the reporting side, right? The metrics, like how do we measure what are the OKRs that we want to measure, which that discussion's already taken place in COA to say, okay, we deployed $3 million in funding. What did the community, what did the ecosystem actually get back, right? What was the net net positive impact that was made? And so it's always going to be about in COA reviewing the funding that's going out, making sure that it really is to grow and sustain the ecosystem and then making sure that the trackable metrics that we have are going to be aligned to that, right? For instance, the marketing DAO, uh, you know, COA requested a report for October funding and they created that. And, you know, these things are very detailed. There's an immense amount of work that goes into this, but the feedback from one of the COA members uh, was, well, what we really need is just an executive summary of what took place, how many new accounts were onboarded, you know, what was the return of those accounts? Are they still active in the ecosystem? You know, what were the events? How did they pull off? How many developers were onboarded? So kind of getting to some of those high level metrics to say, are we actually even moving the needle here? And if we're moving the needle, are we moving it a lot or a little and, and kind of measuring that? So I think that's what COA's role will be moving forward in this Congress. Perfect. Okay, thank you so much, Blaze. Uh, I think last but not least, let's move to Mr. AVB from Transparency Commission. So AVB, could you please tell us uh, the updates for the last week from Transparency Commission? GM, GM. Yes, I can. GM. Just really briefly on that Blaze point, Council of Advisors has a really interesting role. Um, you know, the parallel would be a board of directors where you may not have active duties like within the council, but you're still active in the ecosystem, you know, I guess staying up to date with information and retaining that experience to then be able to make a decision when the paper is in front of you. So it's a it's an interesting dynamic where you are kind of active or you're expected to be keeping up with things and monitoring things, even though it's not a you know a word document in front of you at that precise moment. So something to keep in mind. Awesome. Moving on to Transparency Commission. So this has been a, a busy week. It's been a very busy week. So on Monday, we were putting up all the documents that we've been working. There is a document index that has had um, a lot of things going in there, trying to keep it as organized as possible for the other houses and the community to be able to uh, navigate easily. We have a lot of forms to make it easy for compliance and monitoring of data. Uh, things such as like a feedback form, general complaints form, performance review form, etc. And then we have the procedures and the guidelines, which would be how the Transparency Commission operates. The focus there would be to ensure due process, everyone understands 
what happens when an investigation or a complaint is made and, and when it ends. And the most important one, how are decisions made or the criteria applied, the guidelines. As some people may remember, if you've been in previous Twitter spaces or if you've been reading some of the um, discourse in different channels, there was one clause or one section within the code of conduct, which is very controversial. And as I was going through the documents to put um, the rest for vote, I realized that the document had been changed after we voted for it. So the full context here is important. Um, the code of conduct as we deemed it to be the most important one of the whole batch that we were working on was put to vote by the Transparency Commission um, on BOSS. The vote is there on uh, whatever it's called, something poll, and it was approved. I think it was between the 15th and the 17th of October. On the 3rd of November, somebody else came in without letting the Transparency Commission know, without any notification, and they made changes to that specific clause. So this has been a week of trying to address that situation, first publicly reassure the community that the clause was indeed out of line, it was excessive, it was not discussed, it was not agreed by the people that were meant to, and that we have immediately reverted back to the original version of the document that was uh, approved in public. And from there, there's been several lines of action, first investigating what happened with the edit, um, and there may be some recourse there, but most importantly, putting measures in place to ensure that we don't have any similar incidents um, in the future, uh, whether it was uh, an honest mistake or a malicious crew, whatever the case may be, um, we've been migrating to GitHub, which is kind of hilarious because Transparency Commission not being the most technical body, <laughs> we've all been doing GitHub tutorials and just learning how to best have those documents publicly available and to have much more powerful permission control, you know, who can uh, approve a, a suggested change, but also it's going to give very powerful tools to the community in terms of having discussions and conversations around specific sections, making recommendations, etc. We're also talking to the tech working group and other Congress members on how all these things eventually migrate on chain. But I think that this week, what became immediately obvious is that we don't have uh, time to wait um, to do things on chain or to do things on chain that work half the time. We need a solution right now that works, that is robust, and that we can have the reassurance that if we vote on a document, no one is going to have the power to grant access to a third party to modify the document. It obviously gets problematic when you look at the actual content of the clause. Um, some people have called it the dictator clause, which is very problematic for us. The main focus now is to make sure that the Transparency Commission is stable, that the processes are well understood, that they're fair, and that we are seen by the community as being functional and fair in everything that we do. If the community loses trust in the Transparency Commission, it's going to be very hard for the, uh, t uh, for the NDC to operate, uh, almost like in parallel uh, universes. There's been a lot of inbound messages as well. There's a lot of interest from the community to use the general complaints form. I think that we're going to have a very, a very powerful opportunity to maybe look into some of the grievances, maybe settle some complaints, 
the TC has the chance to be that impartial place where we can all meet, discuss, investigate, and settle something in a civilized way. And I think that despite what happened, um, it is good that we caught it um, early on. We've made amendments. We're putting some measures in place to avoid it happening again. And yeah, there may be some more updates on that front. But I'd say that has been the the biggest update this week. Um, certainly the one that we want um, the community to know. If people are listening and not sure of the context, this refers to the the personal attacks clause, which was yeah, it, it was very detailed and it was there was a bit of an overreach there in terms of some of the criteria that it referred to, some of the actions. So yeah, that has been clawed back. Um, Blaze has pointed out some other places that we have to edit um, the right correction of the document, such as Medium and the governance forum. Uh, but yes, that would be the the main update from TC. Got it. I was definitely going to ask you about the drama, but uh, to follow up with uh, this situation, I think you know part of the problem is that we don't have at this point. Um, a predetermined like one single place that has been chosen to keep uh, all the documents and such a place where they cannot be changed after they're already posted so hopefully something on chain and uh, right now right even the gwg era documents have governance framework in notion which technically right theoretically can be edited by people who have notion we have something in github something in notion something in google docs uh so do you think is this something First of all, is it something that even like falls under responsibility of Transparency Commission that Transparency Commission should take care of as to like uh, deciding on and establishing one single place that will be official source of the documents where they cannot be changed later? And uh, if yes, then what do you think uh, that place should be and how it should be handled overall, sort of the archiving and the indexing of uh, all the official documents within the NDC? Yeah, it's a great question. This is so normally when we refer to blockchain in general, we talk about creating resilient systems. And a resilient system has two components. One would be what does the technology allow you to do? And the other side is how will humans act in rational or irrational ways uh, based on what the technology enables them to do. So the examples that you bring up are correct. Um, having something like a Google Doc where permissioning access may not be as robust as you would expect for a document that cannot be altered. It's probably inappropriate. To give you an example, um, there may be a Word document where maybe you negotiate a contract, but the final version of the contract is signed using ironclad, if it's in your foundation or whatever. There's a lot of digital signatures where the document is sealed, timestamped, people sign it. There's a There's an end to that document. From there, there's two very different categories. One would be, was the failure on the Transparency Commission side to keep track of its own documents, as in, let's say hypothetically that there is a complaint. And when the complaint comes in, we've got two versions of documents, but we don't know which version is the most recent one. And by the way, this happens all the time. I work at a law firm. Document version control has always been a little bit tricky. Um, GitHub and Git should really be more popular with with the written word. In that instance, it is a failure of the Transparency Commission to just be more diligent in which document is the most recent one or which contract, which agreement, etc. What we had here was slightly different because 
a third party which should have never had access to that document had access to it. Um, it was a member from another house. It was never communicated in ways that really raised suspicion as to why wouldn't you tell people that you changed something and maybe look into it, you know, vote on it again. Collaboration with other houses is welcomed and actually encouraged. And there's been plenty of collaboration, comments back and forth, meetings. The silence, especially after three or four weeks of a lot of pushback, is a little bit concerning. Like someone should have said, hey, by the way, I made that change. We should clarify what I meant. People are misunderstanding it. So there's a lot of surrounding circumstances that when you look at the content and the way that somebody else put it in there um, becomes a little more concerning. Should the TC dictate how other houses use their documents? Not necessarily, but I do think that the TC has a duty to at least be a source of truth. So for instance, for things like performance review uh, forms and, and reports, we are pushing and there's broad consensus for those to be lodged with TC. You know, even recently there was a House of Merit member asking about resigning. And I was like, look, just to keep things clean, send a resignation letter to the TC so we know when, why, what happened, and then, you know, we can trigger uh, a removal process, a voluntary one, and people just vote you out of the DAO. So if we want to be that body where people can be confident that we have, especially if we project this over time, the historical data of the NDC, who got approved, why, all the receipts, all the performance reports. We need to have a system that is credibly resilient so that no one is tampering with reports. I mean, we can extend the situation to anything. Somebody can go back in and change someone else's performance report, and that may change how much money they can get. You know, whether you want to approve or reject a proposal or, you know, you make a complaint against someone, but you change history to change documents to have the outcome go a different way. So this is good that it came up very early in the history, um, just to highlight what we already know, that it is very important not to fuck with someone else's documents, but also it's really good to force us to do it as a number one priority. Um, it's been a busy week um, and it has delayed um, the voting of the other documents, but at least it should be reassuring for everyone that the processes are put in place to ensure that, you know, damage control, cut up, we cut it pretty early and uh, yeah, we, we're still on track for V1. Perfect. That's great to hear. Um, so I know Evgeny uh, wanted to ask some questions as well, so I would like to pass the mic to Evgeny. Uh, I have a question for Blaze, uh, for COA, COA. Uh, so my question is, uh, last week, uh, House Merit approved a proposal from uh, Creatives DAO, and right now it is in uh, the voting in uh, COA. So my question is, what is the uh, situation with this proposal at the moment in COA? Yeah, so um, I actually was spending quite a bit of time, and that's some of the reflection I gave a little bit ago. As uh, members of the Council of Advisors, multiple of us have been reviewing uh, both creatives and marketing and the challenges is that you know they're very detailed right there's a tremendous amount of information to review um, so it takes some time to do that um, and so 
two of the members of the Council of Advisors have voted to reject the veto and we've placed a comment there. We're hoping to see more members come forward and uh, do that here. Uh, but you know, in the case that they don't come forward and reject that veto, I believe it's accepted to expire uh, over the weekend here, correct? I can just double check real quick. But in either case, it would be approved, uh, you know, in the case there's no more specific vetoes coming forward. Sounds good, thank you. Uh, yes, thank you. I also have a question for Blaze. Can you expand a little bit more on what does the process look like now to raise a veto proposal? Like, is that generated internally within COA or can a third party trigger a veto motion to force the COA to look into a situation? Uh, so yeah, there's two, um, there's a couple of versions of veto. Right now, the COA is the only one that can veto any proposal. So they have the ability to veto a proposal. So what that looks like, and we've been talking with the tech work group about more automation, is that a member of COA has to actually go create the reject proposal. And we've been doing that to try to speed up that five-day review process and still haven't gotten into 100% cadence yet on that. The second option is if it's a high-budget item, that means if it's something over 75000 or it's a reoccurring budget item, the voting body can also veto something. We know that's a much heavier lift, right? But as it stands now, a COA can open up a veto um, on any particular legislation or budgetary item. Um, and then the voting body can do budgets over 75,000 and be occurring budgets as well. So when you say the voting body, does it mean that the voting body triggers a proposal for the COA to look at it or the voting body itself votes on the veto? They vote on the veto. They have the ability to veto. Awesome. Thanks for that. No, I, I only ask because I'm mindful that um, we haven't done the disclosure of interest forms, but you know, it's pretty clear that there's been some proposals getting through with the the appropriate disclosures and people abstaining um, have not taken place. So I think that it probably be appropriate for the Council of Advisors to veto those, send them back to the House of Merit and have the vote take place again with appropriate um, measures in place for the disclosure of conflicts. In this case, will be mostly some people abstaining from, from some votes, but we'll talk about that offline. Yeah, I think it's important to get that form out there as soon as we can, because I do I did realize I actually made a mistake. Um, the marketing budget had implicated, uh, you know, some uh, expense rewards from Nearcon from for me, but I actually didn't need those rewards. But I did actually vote to reject the, the proposal instead of abstain, which brings up a great point of a lot of what we've been talking about. Mistakes will be made. This is a very you know, new process that we're all getting into and we've got to get to better cadences and better review processes. Yeah, but in all um, aspects, I should have abstained from rejecting the marketing proposal. Uh, now, I'm not receiving anything from there, so it's not a conflict from that perspective, but it's just, a, I, I agree 100%. It's a reminder that if you are directly implicated in receiving any of the funding that's going out, you must abstain uh, from that proposal. Yeah, and 
So there's two things. The first one would be, obviously, it's the first time that we do things. So for most things, we're just sort of learning, maybe a notification or a warning in writing. So like it's, it's not going to be onerous um, at this stage unless it's something malicious. But also, most people would be happy to know that on the very comprehensive and nuanced guidelines that we've written for most of the existing um, potential breaches of code of conduct or, or, or conflict of interest, there's a very interesting and very important element around mitigating the breach. So if you do it, honest mistake, notifying us or taking actions as soon as possible to, you know, undo uh, some of the potential effect would be big. Um, so yeah, if, if any House of Merit member or any member really um, at any point becomes aware that there may have been a conflict of interest and they participated in it without realizing, um, yeah, just, just let us know so that we can assess whether a new vote should take place or maybe, yeah, every situation may be different, but it, it's super important to know that even though the forms have not gone in, obviously the, the conflict of interest may, may still exist. So yeah, that, that, that's something to keep a, keep, a, keep an eye on. Ideally, the scenario that we want to avoid is these things, I call them like low-hanging fruit. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> Your involvement, what you voted on, these are things that we should be able to handle internally as a matter of um, everyday admin procedure. We want to avoid having 70 community members all lodge the same complaint on something that could have easily been avoided. Okay, great. Uh, at this point, I would also say that if uh, any one of the listeners is uh, also a Congress member, if we have any home, COATC, feel free to come up, ask uh, any questions or participate in the discussion. Uh, other than that, do we have any more uh, topics uh, from speakers or questions to each other that are up here? Just going to give a quick update to Hyanko there. It does look like that proposal veto expires in 16 hours, so it looks like it should uh, have a passage there. I don't believe there's been any further discussion on a veto in the in the Council of Advisors for that proposal for uh, creatives. Uh, also, I have a question. One more question for Blaze. Um, Last week, House of Merit approved uh, some DAOs, grassroots DAOs. So my question is, should COA uh, also vote for these uh, grassroots DAOs or only House of Merit? That's a good question. It's not something that we actually discussed uh, on the uh, COA meeting this week. I can add that to the agenda for next week, but generally speaking, uh, you know, COA is probably more going to be looking at the funding requests coming uh, forward for those. So it does seem like that would be something uh, within the realm of HOM to decide. But I'll just bring that up for uh, from the perspective of what kind of review is needed, if any. But it doesn't seem like anyone was uh, alarmed at that at all. I did actually present um, the proposals uh, to in the COA meeting to show they were going forward uh, to COA members. So, but yeah, I, I, I can bring that up. But at this stage, um, yeah, I don't see anything specific there that I can think of. It's really about more the funding.
Now, the only suggestion I would give once again is that for those that did not have a passage of, you know, their proposal to be a funding node, they really are, you know, according to all of our published guidelines, they do need some kind of response from HOM as to why they were not approved. Yeah, I think that the the default really matters. So I, I can see it going either way. Um, on the one hand, it would make sense that the Council of Advisors would only put to vote proposals that may be contentious. Um, so if they see something problematic, then it goes to vote and it gets formally decided. The problem, and, and that's why I said the default matters, is that if you do it that way, you have to assume that the Council of Advisors is you know, offline monitoring all the proposals and only things that trigger a warning get put to vote. This may create a scenario where if people are busy, it just like slides under the under the rug, like people may not notice. Um, the other option uh, would be almost like a forcing function. You know, if you say, hey, uh, under these parameters, it must go to vote, it will be a forcing function because you didn't really get a choice. and once you have to vote, if you have to provide reasons, then at least you have to do like a minimum of due diligence. So yeah, if, if, if I had to chime in, it's probably somewhere in the middle. You know, there are parameters for 75,000 plus, maybe have like an initial review of a new DAO and then only spending budgets. Like try to find the, the least onerous way, but also make sure that we don't have dormant COA members that may be neglecting their duties of actual oversight. Yeah, you know, it's all, uh, we're doing it all for the first time. So we're gonna find those guidelines and that guidance as we progress through, right? And the good news is about COAs, they are very engaged uh, in a lot of these things and in doing the review. So uh, I think that's what's positive actually is that we have all the members there nearly engaged uh, at some level, um, you know, periodically throughout the week. So that's great. Um, so yeah, we'll just continue this dialogue and start to think about that. And you do raise a great point, you know, certainly above a certain budgetary level, there would probably need to be a review, right? But uh, we just need to kind of think of some of those general guidelines. Because my main concern is that usually like grassroots now imply forever funding. Um, our first two grassroots DAOs have had forever funding that outlasted three, four near foundation CEOs and basically every other project, but from founders or hubs or et cetera. So we need to be very careful of, as we approve new grassroots DAOs, not to appear to be signing a forever funding empty check and, you know, really make sure that there are checks and balances on the approval, on monthly budgets, et cetera. Perfect. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, giving us all of the updates from uh, all the houses and for the discussion that followed. Uh, hopefully on next basis, we can have also more uh, members from other houses participate as we had before. But as we can see, there's more than enough uh, things to discuss just between the speakers to make for a long, fun and engaging space. Uh, and I think if we have no more updates, this would be a great point to wrap it up. Uh, 
unless anyone has anything else they would like to put out there before we finish this phase. Yeah, I can just do a little bit of a summary, but yeah, so what's important right now, so we're waiting for the enforcer to accept this voting mechanism. Once we do that, along with the budget, uh, then we'll have a V1 budget approved. We're anticipating and hoping that's going to take place early next week. Let's, let's all uh, hope that it will be the case. And then NDC governance will fully be online from a funding perspective. Um, you know, additionally, just out really looking for the community to stay engaged. Uh, there's going to be a lot of proposals going up as funding goes on. Please keep an eye on those. Feel free to comment. You have the ability to comment there. Look for new postings on Community Voice. There will be a lot of new legislation, new forms, new processes coming out. Congress is very, very busy. There's a tremendous amount going on behind the scenes, although it may kind of look, you know, a little bit quiet right now. So just keep your eyes open. Definitely want to keep the community engaged in uh, feedback and just, uh, yeah, your voice matters. Thank you for that, Blaze. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, a couple more things, right? First of all, of course, make sure to join the next week. NDC Sync Update. This has been the NDC Sync Update for the week that just passed from all our uh, speakers from different houses. Uh, as well as next, uh, well, this upcoming Wednesday, we're going to have uh, a space with one of the DAOs that were approved into NDC with Aurora DAO. So if you want to see what are the different DAOs and different people that have been approved for NDC and what they're working on, definitely make sure to be there as well. And uh, yeah, just want to say thanks everyone for coming. We're going to keep doing this weekly things. Uh, I think it's very valuable that the community has access to this type of discussion and has, well, I would say almost the same information as Congress members do. Uh, so great to see that happening and hopefully this initiative will grow and uh, we'll see many, many more interesting things come out of it. And uh, yeah, just want to say thanks everyone for coming to our awesome speakers for taking their time to our community for coming and listening. And uh, this is where we're going to rock the space. Thanks everyone for coming and see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.